these years it's going to be met with a groan because y'all know what I'm about to do. Every year on the Sunday after Christmas, I make a point, a very pedantic point of saying Merry Christmas and reminding you all that Christmas isn't a day, and at least not on the Christian calendar, but it's a 12-day season. The 12 days of Christmas song where someone's supposed true lover, but I really think mortal enemy, gets them about 80 birds before getting them anything anyone would ever want. That song isn't about the 12 days before Christmas, like Amazon might have you believe, but about the 12 days, including Christmas, that are the Christmas season. 12 days to celebrate and meditate on God coming to be in our world in Jesus Christ. Which brings me to a bone I have to pick with radio stations. Probably the most annoying thing I find with radio stations playing Christmas music starting Labor Day is the fact that you cannot find Christmas music during the season of Christmas. We're perfectly happy to play those songs 10 days before Thanksgiving when I might say the weather might not be so frightful. But here we are on the fifth day of Christmas and Wash FM is back to playing Celine Dion. <laughs> That's true. But if, all I'm saying, if we're going to do Christmas music early, so early that Olaf might melt, please play the songs through the full 12 days. Rant over. But here's the real deal. The message of Christmas is so big that we need more than just one day to talk about it. Mainly because the writers of the New Testament talked about the Incarnation using so many metaphors and allusions and callbacks that we can't absorb it all in one night. The way the New Testament writers talk about Jesus is like the amount of television today. You just can't consume it all at once. You have to give it time and intentionality. So that's what I want us to do. And here's how I want us to do it. There are a number of stories or arguments or passages in the New Testament that are references both oblique and explicit to stories and ideas from the Old Testament. You've heard the expression, 40 is the new 30. Well, it's almost as if the writers of the New Testament are saying that Jesus is the new Adam, as we'll see today, or Jesus is the new Moses. And these references are full of deep, rich, theological meaning that can open our minds to the fullness of what God is doing in Jesus Christ, what God came to do in Jesus Christ, what God's coming in Jesus Christ means for us and for the world. So today I want us to start by giving time to a piece of scripture we read on Christmas Eve, but didn't give much time to that night, because we were caught up doing so many other things. All of them great things. Our children were retelling the story, and in their retelling of it, we were teaching our children the story. We were reflecting upon how Jesus' birth, um, and what that means, how it happened, and what that means for our lives. We were singing carols and lighting candles, or we were flipping the on switch to electric candles. We were singing happy birthday to Jesus. And in the midst of it, we re read this scripture full of power and beauty that we didn't have time to break down, which is why we need 12 days of Christmas. But I already made that point, so I promise I'll get off that particular soapbox and onto another. We're going to start with how John begins his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John begins his gospel with a poem. But not just any poem, a poem about metaphysics. Just to prove to you that he went to a liberal arts college. I'm sure when his parents, when he told his parents he was going to double major in English and philosophy, his father says, yeah, but what are you going to do with that? Oh, only write a gospel that people are still reading 2,000 years later. But I digress. John begins his poem, In the Beginning. That's also how the Bible begins. In the Beginning. But it's not just that. Genesis 2 begins with the words in the beginning and also begins with a poem. A poem about how God made the cosmos. And wouldn't you know that's precisely where John goes next. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The poem that begins Genesis talks about the first thing God made being light. Let there be light, God says, and there was light. And God separates the light from the darkness. So where does John go after saying the word made everything with God? To light. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John begins his gospel with multiple references to the way Genesis, the, the way the Genesis poem describes creation. Why? What is he doing? He's saying that what he's about to talk about, the Jesus story, represents creation done anew. But I don't think what he's saying is that God is giving creation a second chance. Rather, instead what John is saying here, through metaphysical poetry, is that what's happening in Jesus is a new creation. Which, if we skip down a bit in the poem, we see John begin to talk about. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural ascent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. What God is doing in Jesus Christ, what John is going to spend the next 20-some chapters telling us about, involves us becoming something new, something different, children born of God. This isn't a recreation. This isn't some biological change of creation. We will still be who we are in our biology, but the new creation is going to be something, well, new, brought about by God. But all this talk about a new creation begs the question of what happened 
to the original creation that God would need to bring about something new? And the answer to that question is Adam. In the second story of creation in Genesis, the prose as opposed to the poetry, God makes a man named Adam, and then Adam does the one thing that God tells him not to do. Hashtag, you had one job. And through that one act of disobedience, sin enters the world. And humanity is condemned to live in a world of sin and death. So if God is coming to bring about a new creation because the first creation is condemned to sin and death, how does that work? This is a huge theme in Paul's writings. So we're going to turn to a few verses in Paul's letter to the Romans in the fifth chapter. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone accounts when, where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous." The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul was wordy. Today we are four days removed from Christmas. The gifts have all been opened. The trash truck has come to carry away the wrapping paper and the boxes and perhaps a few gifts from a year ago that you no longer feel obligated to keep in your house. In some homes, the decorations have already come down. The sights and the sounds of the season are quickly being packed away to be taken out around Columbus Day next year. All we have left is the baby Jesus, born in a manger in Bethlehem left to linger on what this baby might mean, who this child is, who this child is for us. And Paul gives us quite a lot to think about. Paul talks about how through, Adam's sin, through Adam, sin entered the world, and we all stand guilty because of Adam's transgression. And John speaks of the possibility of a new creation. Jesus, who is the new creation? And we look upon the baby born in a manger and wonder if this one time things might be different. If this one time this child won't give in to temptation, won't participate in the transgression, but instead might live the life that God intends for us all, might walk in the way that leads to life, that this baby might be the righteous one. And through him, we might all be healed. Healed of the sin sickness, Adam's transgression introduced to us all. 
healed of the selfishness, of the self-interest, of the susceptibility to sin and death that came from being sons and daughters of Adam, that we might have another path, another destiny, that we might be sons and daughters of a new Adam, a new humanity, a new creation. For John and for Paul, Jesus is the new Adam. Just as Adam is humanity's progenitor, so too might Jesus be the progenitor of a new creation, a gift offered to you and to me. There's a famous hymn called, This is a Day of New Beginnings. And indeed, this, what, this is what Christmas is to John and to Paul. A day of new beginnings for humanity, for creation, for the cosmos. The baby born in Bethlehem, whose birth we celebrate and remember is a new creation, a new Adam, that we ourselves might become part of that new creation. Children not of Adam sharing his sin and death, but children of God sharing his light and his peace. If we haven't already, culture is quickly going to move from Christmas to New Year's. Many view New Year's as an opportunity for a blank slate, a chance at a new beginning. How can we use the start of the new year to start something we've known we needed to begin? So here's how I'm going to challenge you on this, the fifth day of Christmas. We are offered a clean slate. Jesus is the clean slate. Jesus is the new beginning. So whether because it's a new year or in recognition that Jesus is the new creation, how will you move forward? In light of Jesus being our new creation, how will you respond? What will you do with the freedom found in your new Adam? So last year, we used a form at the new year that asked you four questions about the start of the upcoming year. I think it was helpful. Some people afterwards told me they found it helpful, so I brought it back. If Jesus is our new Adam, then we are given freedom. And it's up to us to decide what we will do as a free and forgiven people. So we're going to take a few minutes to look at what we will do with the freedom given to us in Jesus.